going to continue in the Gospel of John this morning in chapter 5. We'll be uh, looking at verses 25 to 29. Now, uh, as you're turning there, I just want to uh, speak to a couple of things. First, one, the context, again, of where we're at, but also just naming the fact that this is a, a weighty passage <laughs> because it speaks, I mean, all of God's Word is weighty, uh, but this one gets us thinking about eternity, about resurrection, about justice and judgment, all of those things. So uh, I felt the weightiness of, weightiness of it this week, and I invite you to um, experience that with me this morning. Uh, now, to take us back to the context, we go back a few weeks uh, in terms of just the, the series that we've been in where uh, James walked us through uh, this healing of the man at the pool. You remember the guy? He had been paralyzed for 38 years and was waiting at the pool uh, for some idea of the pool stirring and maybe he gets in quick enough and is healed and Jesus comes along and heals him apart from his plan. And then the, the religious leaders, you know, it happened on the Sabbath, so the religious leaders wanted to debate on whether or not Jesus had broken any laws or rules. Um, and so, and then last week, James helped us see that the this future glory, what we're promised in Christ, is enjoyed in the here and now. Our passage this morning takes this here and now reality of us being in Christ and casts our vision of the future, to glory, to eternity. So let's go there together. Our passage again is John 5, verses 25 to 29. This is God's uh, inerrant and infallible word. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, pray and ask him to lead us through this time together in his word. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has, because uh, it is your word. You have power. Uh, there is life in you, and our, my prayer this morning is that we would hear that voice, the voice of life. Uh, for the believer, that we would long more and more for glory. For though any who are here this morning who do not know Christ, that they would hear his voice for the first time. All of this, Lord, we pray for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. I want to uh, tell you about my friend's son. Uh, my friend does not live around here. You don't know him, but I want to tell you about his now adult son. When he was born, uh, just like any new parent, he delighted greatly in their son. Uh, first child uh, was a joy and a gift, of course, and uh, so they delighted in him, and they watched him grow, and as he grew into the toddler phase, you know, began to notice things that just didn't seem quite right, but you know, didn't really know what to think about it, and the the doctors um, eventually started noticing developmental delays and, led and guided them, them to some testing. Uh, 
And the testing showed that uh, their son was actually fairly long down the line of the autism spectrum. And so new parents are now not only figuring out what it means to be new parents, but now navigating that as well. And they searched in a lot of different directions for the right kind of help for their son to provide a the kind of life they desired for him to have. Uh, they read stories of uh, other families who had found help and seen uh, improvement in their children uh, and quality of life for their kiddos. Um, but my friend's son, as he grew, kept not getting better. And to the point where his wife one day said, I, I just don't want to read another story about somebody else that found help and saw improvement because our son's not getting better. Not only did my friend's son not get better, but as he grew uh, in stature and in age, became a, becoming a teenager, um, it got worse. It got harder. Uh, and he grew more violent. Just out of the frustration and just the, the condition that he dealt with to the point where my friend would regularly get calls from home saying, get home now before he hurts me or one of, your, one of our other children. Uh, they finally got to the point that no parent would ever want to be at, where they had to determine at the age of 17 that he could no longer safely live at home with them. Uh, I can't imagine what that would feel like, Uh, but my friend's faith uh, really blows me away. Uh, They go see him. They found a, a place for him to be where he could live safely and have the care that he needed. Now he's an adult, and they go see him every week. And my friend prays, they take him to all his favorite places to go, and then they bring him back, and at the end of their time together, he always prays. And he prays the same prayer that he's prayed for him since he was very small. It was simply this, I pray that your dreams are sweet. And it's more than just the sentiment. He's actually praying that he would be able to dream about the, the day when his autism no longer is frustrating to him. When he can speak clearly and be with everybody together safely and not be frustrated by this life. And then he would finish his prayer and and say to him, look at his son and say, this isn't all there is. You'll see. And his son would say that back to him every time. Uh, My friend has a an incredible ability to look ahead to and hope for heaven, to long for heaven. And my friend's son had an ability to hear his father's voice and respond to it. You see, this passage speaks of hearing a voice and responding to it with the hope of glory. And our passage leads us to see that the voice of Jesus is life. It is uh, uh, he- the heaven we are longing for, his voice, being with him. And so our call in this passage is to hear him, to hear the voice of Christ. And yet, oftentimes we uh, listen to our own voice, functionally, don't we? Our own voice is the loudest in our head, or the voice of the world. Uh, perhaps like the man that was at the pool for so many years, His voice said to him, get in that pool. If we can work out this situation, then we'll have life. Then I'll have life as I desire it. Or like the religious leaders thinking they had the corner market on on justice and what's right and wrong. And they could figure those things out themselves. And we functionally plug our ears up uh, so that we can't hear the voice of eternity. 
If we think on eternity, really think on it, it can be scary. It's big, it's weighty, and it might change us. It will change us, actually. Uh, Friends, I ask you you to join me this morning in being willing to let the voice of Christ have have his way in you. Uh, The passage before us really breaks out into two parts. Verse 25 and 26 speak to a, uh, an hour that is coming and is now here. So sort of a present age hour that Jesus speaks of where there is a hearing of the voice of the Son of God. And then the other half of the passage, 27 to 29, speaks of a, a later coming hour where uh, the voice will be heard again. And all will respond at that day. Both of these hearings, hearings of the voice, accomplish something for the future. And both of those things are, are things that we truly long for. Real life. Real, not just breathing life, but real life. The life we were created to live. And real justice. We long for that too. And it comes, both come by way of hearing the voice of Christ. So let's, let's explore this together. What, a, what first about this first part, this, this real life that we were made for, this, this coming and here now hearing. My friend had an ability to look ahead, to hope for that life that we were made for. He had an ability to look there. and he, he, he knew it in the core of his being that it was coming, that, we, that he has tastes of it and glimpse of it, but it is coming. He had that hope for himself and for his son. And we all do too. We're, we actually, Scripture says that we were created with eternity set in our hearts. Every human being in this world has some sense of there's something more than this. Many are walking around this world, though, without the answer to that. But it's there. And Jesus, again, he says that this first hour that he's talking about in chapter 5 is the here, it's the coming and here now, this present age. And it's different from that second time that he talks about hour when he says it's coming later. So it's this present age. And he says the dead will hear. What kind of, what is he talking about here? Uh, I think what he is talking about, because verse 24 really informs 25 for me here. 24, the, last week we heard that uh, Jesus say, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Has passed from death to life. I think he's talking about spiritual resurrection in this first part of the passage. The dead will hear, and those who hear will live. Spiritual resurrection. I, uh, I often uh, have conversations with folks outside of the church, uh, outside of our faith, what we believe, and I, I like to ask them five questions to, to listen, to hear, to understand what do they believe, to enter into dialogue about the gospel. And the fourth question that I ask sometimes is, what do you believe about the afterlife? And I hear all kinds of answers to that because there's all kinds of versions and perspectives on that. But most often I hear, uh, well, I just, I just don't know. I don't think about that that much. Maybe I, th- maybe I should think about it more, but I just don't. I've, I've talked to many professing Christians who have that answer. Like, I, I'm not really sure, actually. I don't, know, I don't even know where I would end up if I'm honest. I just don't try, I try not to think about it too much. And, 
functionally we can do that. The world does that. The world doesn't know what's coming next. So guess what the world does? And we're invited or enticed to be a part of is spending a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy in avoiding thought. And being rooted in the here and now instead of what is to come. So we scurry around this world chasing things, keeping up with others, medicating ourselves, numbing our fears, numbing our thoughts towards those types of things. And we wake up one day and we're at the end of life and we have avoided it the whole time. And the scripture says that one day we're going to wake up out of the grave, but we'll get there. We'll get to that part. But Jesus is saying here, and the rest of Scripture tells us that we're actually, because we were born after the fall, after Adam and Eve fell, we're born spiritually dead. We're born floating through life. We're born mastered by sin, blind, our blind desires, and we can't see the world as it truly is. We only have a faint subconscious recollection of a world that we were made for. It's in there because the image of God is in there. And oftentimes the best things that we can do or the best things the world can do with it is throw things like nostalgia at, at that feeling. You know, nostalgia, that feeling of like a, the sense of a, a, a good place or a good feeling or a good experience that we've had. And we, we spend time trying to recreate that, right? You know what I'm talking about. And we call it nostalgia. And really nostalgia is sort of this... A bittersweet thing because it awakens something in us that we actually can't produce for ourselves because it's not something we can necessarily go back to. It awakens something that is ahead. <laughs> Glory. It's the echoes of Eden. But we spend time trying to recreate it or to look ahead to something uh, like that. Uh, but we do not have the power to produce it. But Jesus says here, listen, hear my voice. Do you hear uh, the music of the gospel, if you will? Do you hear the power of the gospel? Do you, not just the, the, the sound waves that are hitting your ear, but do you hear the, the power of the gospel, the voice of Christ? The dead can't hear. But there is a voice that spoke, every, that spoke, and, and all this stuff was here out of nothing. It was the voice of God. It was, it was creative. It was that powerful. That same voice can awaken the dead, the spiritually dead and the physically dead. Do we hear his voice? Ephesians 2 reminds us of that. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive with Christ. But oftentimes, many folks float through life. Many people walk in and out of church buildings, just floating, checking a box, trying to be a good person, do the right things, all the while not having been animated by the voice of Christ. Maybe knowing uh, lots of things about Jesus, or knowing about God, or knowing the information, but perhaps not knowing Christ. You know the difference it's like someone says to me, like, hey, do you know so-and-so? And you're like, well, I know of them. I, I don't know them. I don't have a relationship with them. That's the difference here. And it's the difference between life and death. The implications are eternal. 
hear his voice now of his invitation. If you've not heard it, hear it now. Don't wait till you feel better or get your act together. That's actually not what the gospel says at all. It doesn't say clean it up or, or wait till you feel better to come to me. It says come to me and bring all of it, all the sin, all the brokenness, all the mess. Bring it to me, Christ says. For the believer, if you're in Christ, you've heard his voice. You've responded to it, and you are his. And so the invitation is to continue to hear the voice of Christ, to continue to long for, with my friend, the hope of glory. Now, this passage doesn't stop with just awakening that longing for real life, but it also taps into our innate sense of justice. Now, the word justice isn't in there, but judgment is, and they're very much related. We have that innate sense of justice because, again, we're in the image of God. We have that. It's there. Uh, I just want to take us back to the text for a moment to, to show you where this is coming from. Verse, starting back in verse 27, uh, it says, and he, was given, and he has given him, Jesus, uh, authority to execute judgment. Why? Because he's the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to resurrection of life and those who have done evil to resurrection of judgment. This, that, this portion of the text, I think, speaks to two questions. One, who all is subject to this judgment? And two, why is Jesus the right man for the job to be judge? But before I uh, get into those questions, I want to speak to something that's, a, I think, a very, very common reaction to judgment and hell. Uh, out in the world, for sure, but some, even in our own hearts as we sit here, we think about that. We feel this stuff, and we, we have this feeling of wanting to buck or bristle at the thought of judgment or, or hell or, or, or even feel suspicious of a God who would judge or, or send people to hell, right? It, it's, it's in there. We think it. The world's talking about it. The world's saying, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can believe in a God who would send people to hell. I'm helped by others wiser than me on this topic. One of my professors helped me think through this, and he, he gave a few uh, ways to think about it. He said one reason that we often buck or bristle at this thought is because uh, we hear about judgment and hell through sometimes humans who are expressing it without love, through perhaps furious tones or hate or mean-spirited attacks. And so we project that onto God, and we dub judgment as unloving. But actually, God, for God, judgment is an expression of love. It sounds odd, but let me explain. You see, a God who would ignore injustice, who would ignore uh, uh, attacks, would ignore, ignore pain, ignore brokenness, a God that would ignore that and not deal with it would, would not be a loving God. You see, the fact that God judges dismantles any notion that his love takes a bribe or is hypocritical. We actually do long for judgment or justice, right? Because most of us, all of us in this room can have had some experience of being wronged or hurt by a person or an organization or whatever, right? We've all had some experience of that. And so when that happens, guess what? We want that wrong stopped. We want it dealt with. We, we want justice, right? We have that sense. We know it's there, and we want it. We, we want our side heard. 
And so to say, again, my professor helps here, he says, to say that God judges our lives is to say that he hears everyone's side. The good news from the Bible is that God does what we most long for, provide real justice. Not my perspective or your perspective or your perspective or your perspective. Justice is the perspective of justice. The problem comes, too, though, when we see uh, justice or judgment uh, facing us and we see that it's actually calling us to change our lifestyle. Uh, Then sometimes we would prefer a God who is loving without judging, right? But when we've been wronged, we've been hurt, and we've been, been victimized, then we want a judge. We want justice, and we long for it. So it takes us to, to these couple of questions that this part of the passage really gets at. One of those is, is who is subject to this judgment? The passage says all who are in the tombs. Who is that? Everybody that's ever died. So on that day, when the voice of the Son of Man speaks, everybody's going to come out. Uh, Alexander the Great's going to rise from the dead. King Henry VIII is going to rise from the dead. The Apostle Peter is going to rise from the dead. Judas Iscariot will rise from the dead. King David, Adam and Eve. Just think about like all these people. They're all, everybody, <laughs> going to come out of the graves. And us too, if, if Jesus has not come before we too go to our graves, we all will die. And we all will be raised out of those graves. Everyone is subject to this. But here's the thing. It speaks of two different types of resurrection. The resurrection of life, a resurrection of judgment. Now, God is the judge, but here's how the world likes to sort of decide who's in and who's out. I like to think of it in terms of the shelves of society. So picture like a bookshelf. Uh, and and on, on your bottom shelf, okay, your, the bottom shelf of the bookshelf, you put like the worst of the worst, you know, like the Hitlers, the mass murderers, all those folks, right? They're going on the bottom shelf. And you come up a shelf and, and, and maybe it's like uh, your, your average everyday murderer, if there's such a thing. <laughs> Uh, you know, they're not, they're not, you wouldn't put it on the bottom, bottom, but maybe they're one, maybe they made it a step up. Okay, you got them, and then you come up another one, you got maybe the, the extortioners and the thieves and the liar, you know, you put them there, and then you come up another step, and you get to like, well, okay, there's the folks just trying to get through life. They're not perfect. You know, they make mistakes. They get angry or whatever, but, you know, they're right here. And then you go up another level, and you got your, just your nice, kind, good citizens, and you go up another level, maybe, you, you know what I'm, you see what I'm getting at here. You put the top shelf, is like those people that you're like, man, I've never seen them look at anybody in an a ugly way, right? Like those, like Mother Teresa, those people, you're like, surely, if anybody's in, it's them. That's how society grades uh, itself, actually. And, and, the, and, they, and then you draw a, draw a horizontal line and decide, okay, everybody from here up is probably in, but everybody down here is not in. You know where I want to draw my horizontal line? Right below the shelf that I think I'm on. <laughs> where I can say, like, I know I'm not perfect, but at least I'm not like them, right? We all do that. Here's what God does. He draws a vertical line through all the shelves. 
on one side are all who have heard the voice of Christ and responded and entered into a relationship of repentance and faith in him. And guess what? There'll be people on every shelf. Even the bottom of the bottom. Yeah, they, they can get in too in Christ. In Christ alone. And then the other side, you got people all the way up and down who tried to do it on their own. So you got those top shelf folks like, man, surely they're in. They got it right. They did a great job. But if they did it apart from Christ, then their best deeds are filthy rags. That's how God deals with this. Uh, now, <clears throat> now, you read the text, though, and it says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, it starts to sound a little bit like the shelves again. But that is, would not be how Scripture speaks of it, because Scripture speaks of a tree being known by its fruit. If we're in Christ, we'll have Christ-like fruit. No, we're not going to be perfect. But our orientation, our direction is towards Christ. And we are always in that lifestyle of repentance and faith. It's not, hey, you're not going to sin anymore. It's, hey, I take my sin in repentance and faith back to Christ, my Savior. It's the people on that one side of the shelves. There is a lasting forever evil, and that is unrepentant rejection of Christ. That's the only thing that's going to last forever in terms of evil. Revelation 20 speaks of that great white throne judgment. It says all the dead, uh, the passage paints a picture, all the dead standing before the throne, uh, great and small. So right, you get sort of a picture like those at the top of the shelf and those at the bottom and everywhere, everywhere in between. And it says that they're standing before the throne and books are opened. It doesn't say what are in those books, but I have to guess that maybe those are all the books of our, the story of our lives. They'll be read. I'm not looking forward to reading the story of my life because it's going to have everything in it. All the thoughts, everything that's gone through my heart, my mind. It's not going to be a fun book. There'll be great things about it for sure, but there's going to be things I'm not going to want to hear. But then it says there's another book that's going to be open, the book of life. And those whose names are written in it are those who, have, who belong to Christ, who've heard the voice of Christ back in verse 25 when it talked about that. And that will be the entrance into eternal life. That's going to be the most beautiful day for us who are in Christ when we hear our names read in that book. So we can think on that if we're in Christ and we can look forward to that. If, our name's not, if, if your name's not in that book, then it's down to the other book. And for none of us, that will fare well. So now comes the other question. Why is Jesus the right man for the job? Well, there are hints even in the question there, man, or the title son of man. That title is used there. It says he, Jesus was given the authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. That title has two very important meanings. Uh, one of them in Daniel 7 we see is, is divine authority, dominion. Uh, the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days, God himself gives him power and authority, dominion over the earth. So it's an, it's an authoritative uh, title. But it also, in Scripture, we see it holds uh, the meaning of being one of us. Being a son of man, just like you and me. And that is where the beauty of God, of God, of how God orchestrated our salvation, that he did it through one of us. God became 
one of us. So our judge will be one of us. But he's going to be, you know, we hold a judge to a high standard, right? If we're going to trust his judgment, we think, well, this guy's got to be a pretty good guy if he's going to be the judge. Jesus is a perfect guy. Uh, but here's the real beauty in all of this. And, and I want you to, if you, don't, if you miss everything else, don't miss this. In Revelation chapter 5, there's a picture of Jesus described for us. Standing there, standing as a lamb, as though slain. I think when we see our judge and we're raised from the dead, when we look into his eyes, we're going to see his body and we're going to see him standing as though slain. He's going to bear the wounds that were for us. He's going to say to us, welcome, these were for you. On that day, no one will be able to fault God in judgment. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But for some on that day, it'll be too late to respond. So it brings us to our final point, briefly, uh, just in a few minutes left. Briefly, the, this very important point, the last point is real living, real justice comes by way of real hearing, hearing the voice of Christ. What is that hearing? What do, what do we mean by hearing? Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Uh, but then it says in there that, that not all who have heard have obeyed. Uh, now, if you actually drill into the Greek behind that word obeyed, it's a version of the word hearing. But there's a, there's a, a, a prefix attached to it that really, quite literally, could be translated hyper-hearing. Uh, it's the kind of hearing that changes you. A hearing that goes all the way in. So it's not just, like I said earlier, it's not just the, the sound waves hitting my ear and go registering in my brain, but it registers in my heart and changes me. That's the kind of hearing that is talked about even in verse 25. If you're in Christ, you've heard his voice in that way and he has changed you. If, if you have responded to his voice, that is you. My, uh, my newest son, my youngest son, who you can hear right now, <laughs> uh, just a couple of months ago, he was born, and I, I noticed it more with him more than any of our other kids. They've all had this, but from day one, the day he was born, he, if he was crying or squirmy or whatever, uh, I could pick him up and start talking to him, and he would just stop and look up at me. And it was the coolest thing ever. You know, they can't actually see very well in those first few weeks. Their eyes haven't developed. But he heard my voice because he recognized it, because he had heard it in the womb. And so day one, he hears and recognizes my voice, and he responds. Believer, you know the voice of Christ. You recognize the voice of the shepherd. So be encouraged, <laughs> believer, this morning. Keep hearing the voice of Christ because he's asking us to Look ahead to glory, to being with him forever. If you do not know Christ this morning, though, I invite you to listen. Listen to the voice of Christ. Open your ears to him. And really, that even is a gift that he gives. He opens our ears to even be able to hear him. If there's any inkling of desire to respond to Christ this morning in you, that has been given to you by him. So respond. 
Don't wait, don't tarry till you're better, as we've sang earlier, as our music team sang for us earlier. Don't tarry until you are better. Don't be on the wrong side of justice on that day. My friend's son uh, always heard his father's voice. He hears it every day, and he responds to it every day with hope. Uh, he heard it and responded, even through uh, racked with autism. He heard and responded. Believer, let us think on glory more. Let's think on heaven more. This is a vapor. This is a blip on the map compared to what is ahead for us. Let us use our imagination. God gave that to us. Imagine the beauty of being with him forever. Standing and looking at our Savior. Bearing our, the wounds that were due us. We'll delight in him. But today, again, if you don't know Christ, I invite you to respond to his voice. Responding is very simple. It says in scripture, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the weightiness of it. Thank you for the fact that it, it redirects our minds to eternity. Because you made us for eternity. <laughs> you made us to be with you forever in eternity. So all of us who know you, Lord, fan the flame of, of excitement and joy for, for glory, for heaven, for being with you forever and worshiping you for all time. And if there are any here this morning who do not know you, perhaps know about you, but have not had that awakening from the dead voice, Lord, would you bring them to life today, here, this morning. Pray this for your glory, in Christ's name, amen.